This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest wi-fi access for customers bt's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy whatever your business bt's got your back search bt's got your back Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the rest of my time zone show, Monday, Thursday, 10 till 1. No PMQs unpacked, I'm afraid, this week. We had some technical problems, which we won't go into now. But instead, we've got a whole thing about clubbing. Uh, so that's all you uh, you need to look forward to. The return of nightclubs. We've got some Times and Times radio colleagues who are taking a trip down memory lane talking about clubbing. And the prospects of nightclubs, uh, they shut a year ago and uh, they'll be one of the last to reopen. What will they look like when that happens? But first, we kick off with our columnist panel and we've got a brand new pairing on a Wednesday. It's Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Let's talk about really interesting story. This, which sort of speaks to uh, you know life in Britain in the twenty first century, Uber agreeing to pay its drivers a minimum wage, holiday pay, and pensions after they were taken to court. It was quite interesting last night. I saw on the TV an Uber boss making out that oh yeah, we've just decided to do this because we're nice, uh, and it was obviously after they've been uh, taken to court. But is this is this a, a sort of the first um, sign of the crumbling of the gig economy, Alice? I think it is. I think the problem with the gig economy is at the beginning, we all thought it was rather wonderful and it was things like Airbnb and Uber helped your life and it was meant to be for people who didn't have much cash and it was sort of much more egalitarian. And in fact, what happened is it actually was made everything worse in some ways because people weren't getting paid properly for what they were doing and you just didn't have, you know, the sort of delivery Uber drivers didn't have any of the um, benefits that you got from working in, you know, um, an office or for a company in the um, old-fashioned, I might say, way. So I think it's great that Uber now have to act like this because I think it's very unfair. It's Amazon's the same, that all these big new companies who think that they're above the law really shouldn't be. They should have to act in the same way as everyone else. There's a slight feeling, Robert, that because they're sort of all a bit cool and groovy and digital and San Francisco-based and all of that sort of thing, that we we we've sort of shrugged off the fact that they just really don't treat their staff very well at all. Yeah, we have. They, they've sort of put in a ping-pong table and to disguise the fact that they're actually rapacious capitalists like people in <laughs> 1840. Uh, and the way that those people were brought to heel was by the creation of trade unions. And I think... Uh, 
the unions have done really well, along with the two guys who brought the action, uh, to get this underway. Uh, as Alice says, uh, it was supposed to be, and it's made life convenient for, for well-off people who get cheaper uh, minicab fares and uh, Amazon deliveries and, and Deliveroo and all the rest of it. But it's meant it's impoverished a whole bunch of uh, uh, a new generation of workers. And hopefully this can be extended to, you know, hospitality and, and social care and the Amazon warehouse and uh, other places where uh, workers don't seem to have much by way of rights. And also it needs to be further extended with for Uber drivers who, uh, who are still not going to get paid for, uh, for, for when they clock for from when they clock on to when they clock off, which most of us take for granted, even when we're not yeah, actually was- doing anything. Doing any work? I heard. Uh, I heard a driver. In fact, it was one of the uh, the drivers who took this court case. He was on uh, Times Daily Breakfast this morning. He was explaining. Well, you know, on Uber, say, well, you know, some drivers can get seventeen pounds an hour, but that is literally during the time when they're driving, and it doesn't. You know, they've got that, that's gross. They've got to take all their costs out of that, and it doesn't cover when they're you know waiting for for fares and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Alice, you, is your impression that, that politicians have? It, the same is true of whether it's, you know, Facebook regulation or, you know, what's posted on Twitter or Instagram. As well. the, the politicians have always been a bit uneasy about taking on trendy tech firms for being seen to be a bit fuddy-duddy. But that, that feels like that that's slightly changed as well. I think it's changing. That's the one of the great aspects, actually, I think, particularly since uh, coronavirus, is that we're beginning to tackle these huge companies and, and just see the inequity in them. I mean, I always think with Amazon... Everyone wants to use it now because of COVID, because it's the only way really to get stuff to your house. But on the other hand, you're, you just see how badly the drivers are treated. You've now all become our best friends. And you realise that in the end, you know, they're just making these vast profits and nothing. You know, absolutely no tax really is being paid for that. And the sort of struggling corner shop is actually up against these sort of David and Goliath type situations. Now, Alice, I want to make sure we've got um, time to talk about your uh, column today, which is uh, it has an extraordinary personal story in it. I mean, the headline is sex crimes uh, victims need their day in court. But you talk about how how you once had your day in court after being abused yourself. I didn't actually go to court because I was only seven when it happened. But I was um, I when I was seven, I used to go to the park with a friend to Richmond Park, actually. And um, we used to play there and we met a man who was a gardener who used to play with us effectively um, and we didn't really know what was wrong until it went too far and then I did because I had two older brothers and eventually I explained what was happening to my mother and the police got involved and he did get prosecuted and he get, did get done and I don't really remember very much about it to be totally honest and I think that's probably because he went to court and because he got done and I was allowed to talk about it and I was believed crucially, which is what often doesn't happen. And I think that's the problem now is that if you have something that happens to you as a woman, you most of the time don't bother reporting it because you don't think you're going to be believed or you don't think anything will happen. But even if you do, it's incredibly unlikely, even in rape cases, that anything will ever happen and that the perpetrator will ever have to go to court, let alone ever be done for it. So... Um, I didn't really want to talk about it, but in fact, I'm glad I did, because I think it's one of those stories that you always feel too embarrassed to share. But it is important that we do start sharing what happened to us. But I mean, it's all credit to you for for doing that. Have you had a a lot of response to it this morning? (laughs) Well, actually, we have had a lot of response from friends and from people I've never really talked to or shared the story with before. The comments had to be turned off 
under my piece in the Times just because there are quite a lot of men out there still saying, you know, but what about men? And, you know, actually there's so many cases when men get falsely accused. But actually that's a tiny minority compared to the fact that only 1.4% of cases when women go to the police and say that they have um, suffered from uh, serious abuse like rape ever get prosecuted and go to court. And that is appalling, really. Robert, um, what did you think when you, you read Alice's column this morning? Well, I thought it was a brave and brilliant column. Uh, well done, Alice. You don't need to be embarrassed about it. Uh, it was superb stuff and shocking. I mean, some of the statistics that you quoted were uh, really shocked me. And I thought I knew a fair bit about this subject. 90, 97% of women under 25 have been harassed in some way. 85,000 rape, reported rapes. Presumably that means there are an awful lot that weren't reported of which 90% of, of whom said they knew that who had done it. And yet only, as Alice said, 1.4% of cases uh, ever result in a charge, not, not a conviction, an actual charge, a conviction rate, presumably even lower than that. So I mean, it's just it's just extraordinary. And, it, and, it, and what it looks like, as, as Alice concludes, is that young women are kind of are concluding themselves that the system doesn't doesn't work for them. And... That's just that's just shocking. I, as I wrote in a column yesterday, I I kind of thought things were getting better from when uh, from when I was uh, uh, at school and uh, and uh, sexual harassment and uh, tipping over into abuse of girls was absolutely commonplace. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe things are not getting better. I suppose the one thing that is getting better is that is that there is a there's a less of an acceptance that it's okay. Uh, but that still has not led to people reporting it, uh, feeling that they can report it and see it through in the in the in, and, and and have it dealt with in the way it should be dealt with. And slightly going full circle on what we were talking about a minute ago, as as well, like, technology has changed it as well. Is that the the young women and girls can get harassed through you know the social media platforms that they're they're using to communicate with their friends, and you know and. And that's just another layer of... Uh, of well, yeah, and and adult female journalists, as Alice has just said, can get harassed uh, on below-the-line comments. And, I mean, I had a couple of yeah. uh, email, emails just as a result from my column, both of them from men sort of saying, you know, kind of almost accusing me of disloyalty as a man for, <laughs> for opposing the fact that women are sexually abused. I mean, it's yeah. just... It's, it beggars belief. Uh, just finally, think, Alice, what... Yeah. Sorry, uh, just finally, Alice. What would you? Because it's such a te- like a terrible problem. What can we do to crack this? Is there a single thing? What would you like to see happen to try and to try and this uh, not have to keep having this conversation? I think it's definitely not just a sort of more CCTV and better lighting. And as Boris Johnson wants. Um, plainclothes policemen and bars. I think it's got to be a proper conversation so women don't feel embarrassed about talking what's happened to them and can share what's happened to them. But I also think we've got to have a better court system. It's got to be properly paid for. We need to have police who actually believe women when they come forward. Uh, and we need a sort of zero tolerance policy, I think, towards sexual abuse. As Robert says, you know, whether it's in schools, universities, the workplace, home or on the streets, we do need everyone to get together. It can't just be women who are seen as sort of complaining feminazis, yeah. basically. 
Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson then of course you can read them both in the Times you just need to get yourself a Times subscription go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box but that's enough repeating of the word Times coming up next we're going clubbing Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson on Times Radio. A weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, the politician-turned-broadcaster Ed Balls talks candidly about his time in government, how he overcame the school bullies, and why he kept his lifelong stammer a secret. And I left thinking, I didn't know I was a coward. I thought I was not trying to put myself centre stage. I thought I was just trying to kind of not expose something about myself. But actually, I'm a coward. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson. Ed Balls, in his own words, now available as a podcast. Listen on the Times Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. And now it's time for this. Yes, we are talking clubbing. This week marks a year since clubs and venues were told to close across the UK. And unlike large parts of the economy, have never been able to reopen. The nightlife industry has been crippled by the pandemic. And they'll also be one of the, uh, one of the last to reopen when uh, we, they possibly can this summer. So can nightclubs survive? Are you looking forward to getting back into a room full of other sweaty people and what support do they need from the government to make sure that they do survive well in just a moment we're going to speak to the chief executive of the nighttime industries association and some club owners and djs including a dj from our own ranks here at the times but first we are some times and times radio colleagues for, for some of their favorite clubbing memories Hi, I'm Tim. I'm the one that Matt calls the big boss. My favourite club night, got so many. Is Could it be a techno all-nighter in Berlin? Could it be in Ibiza when I remember Sasha played 
missing by everything but the girl for the first time. Could it be love to be in Sheffield? I think it was probably back in 1988 at the height of Acid House and the Summer of Love and me and my best friend Danny went to went to heaven underneath the arches in Charing Cross where Mark Moore was DJing and we danced all night only to be stopped about 2.30 in the morning when the police raided the club for some reason. Nothing to do with me, I hasten to add. And we all ended up outside for a couple of, about an hour before we slunk home tail between our legs. Anyway, my best track probably Hold That Sucker Down by the OT Quartet. <laughs> I'm Gabrielle Narwan. I cover economics at the Times, and my favourite club tune is "Body Groove" by Architects, featuring Nene. Now, this song is 20 years old, but it's still being played in clubs everywhere, which I think just tells you everything you need to know. My most memorable night in a club was at Renata, which is a techno club in East Berlin. I think I was about 22 or 23 at the time, and I just remember thinking that it was so much looser and more fun than anywhere else I had ever been before. So it's made up of loads of different small rooms, each with a quite a theatrical but Havisham-esque vibe. So I remember one room just had a massive black leather bed inside with nothing else, and another had these ladders that just took you up to another undiscovered nook. Um, we went on a Friday night, spent the whole night in there getting lost and stumbled out at some point on Saturday. Went to get some lunch and then off to bed and that was that. Hi, my name's Mariella Frostrup. My best night in a nightclub was when friends were getting married in Venice, which was very exotic. Um, but the saddest thing about this whole weekend was that there was no nightclub in Venice, apparently, and yet, and yet, I managed to get out and find the only nightclub in the whole of Venice, and it was called Il Piccolo Mondo, and 50 of us went there after the wedding, and we danced all night long. It only fitted about 50 people, to be honest. There was about four regulars sitting at the bar when we arrived, and they took one look at us and left. And we danced, yeah, all night long, and it was one of the best nights of my life. The dress that I'd bought specially for the wedding, I had to throw in the dustbin the next day because it was so covered in unspeakable, and I still don't know quite what things. Um, and the best track? Well, it's got to be Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones. It's like an instruction on the dance floor, isn't it? You wouldn't play it on a quiet, moody, romantic night. But if you're in a club and that comes on, well, you just have to dance. Hello, I'm Anna Murphy, fashion director at The Times, and in normal service, a very occasional but very enthusiastic clubber. My most memorable night was actually just a couple of weeks before the world shut down last year. It was an Afrobeats night at the Jazz Cafe in London with, and I quote, the biggest DJ in Angola, somebody obviously I'd never heard of. And the music was incredible, the dancing was incredible. And I loved the fact that there were so many young people there who I presume were Angolan who treated this DJ I'd never heard of like a super celebrity. Um, it was just like being in a different world. It was not so much armchair traveling, but dance floor traveling, just fabulous. My favourite track at the moment, which I've been dancing around the kitchen to a lot, um, is a remix of Caribou's Can't Do Without You by Taylor Buzz and Mano the Tough. Whenever the going gets a bit tough at the moment, I just put on that track and I immediately feel a whole lot better.
Charlie, McDonald here, fresh from early breakfast, which, by the way, has probably put quite a large landmine under the prospect of me ever being able to club again. Uh, but that's fine, such is life in the business we call show. I've been racking my faint memories of clubbing um, to see what I can come up with, and I think I'm going to pin down as my club the shack in Edinburgh, which, to be honest, I don't know if it still exists, but Edinburgh was where I spent my joyous student and youthful days. Um, before a lack of sleep made me look like I'm about 84 years old. And uh, similarly, actually, an experience at the shack did that to me too. Um, it was quite the place. It was freshly opened, and it was touted by Amy in my friend group as the place to go. Uh, it turned out we had a great night, the sort of 12 of us that were there, dancing with a group of, I think, about 12 other women who were there in a Hindu. And that was basically... I mean, that was basically all the people that were in the club, and it was basically all the space that there was in the club as well. I have some very, very lovely pictures of that night that are still fondly etched in my brain. I remember us all dancing keenly to that song that goes, Do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Um, but that is not the song I'm going to choose. Went out clubbing. Anything by Sia, but particularly Chandelier, has me screaming. Screaming from whatever VIP balcony I've been able to muscle my way onto. So give me some chandelier, please. Growing up in London in the 90s, I was spoiled for choice. In the early 90s, uh, I used to spend a lot of my time, because I was very underage, trying to get into Silver at the Camden Underworld, which was kind of the big rock night there. And I really liked to dance to anything I could headbang to, particularly something like Sabotage by the Beastie Boys. And in the light, late 90s, I got a bit cooler uh, and I used to go to Fabric in Clerkenwell and uh, I liked to sit in the chill-out room listening to uh, Papua New Guinea by the Future Sound of London and, uh, and being quite sweaty with my friends. So my favourite nightclub in the world has got to be, and this is a real blast in the past, it's got to be Spider's Nightclub in Hull, um, where I was a frequent um, regular. Um, what would I be drinking? Oh, the drinks menu is absolutely unbelievable. I think I'd probably have a pint of um, cocktails. I might have something called, this is really nice, a pan-galactic gargle blaster, which is always very good or something called Sweet Death, which is quite appropriate because that's how you feel the next day. Um, in terms of what I'm going to be dancing to, um, I am stuck in a sort of like 90s um, Britpop time warp, so it's probably going to be something like Common People yeah, or Park Life because I am that old. <laughs> well, there we are. That was uh, Aisha Hazarika. Uh, you can hear on Times Radio... Um, uh, uh, Drive, Times Radio Drive at the weekends. And before that, Jenny Cleman from Times Radio Weekend Breakfast and everyone else uh, told you who they were. So that uh, that's just some of the clubbing memories of Times and Times Radio colleagues. But let's talk about what uh, new memories might be created. Let's talk about how the industry can survive over the next few months. We're joined by Michael Kill, who's the chief executive of the Nighttime Industries Association. Hi, Michael. Hi there. Good morning. And also Peter Marks is the chief executive of Late Night Bar and Club Operator Recom UK, which runs 42 venues with brands including Prism, Cameo and Vinyl. Hi, Peter. Hello there. Uh, Peter, let's start with you, first of all. Uh, when you sh shut up shop a year ago, 
did you think we were still going to be in this? How long did you think it was going to be before you could uh, open up your clubs again? Oh, well, do you know what? We were actually close to three weeks to start with. Everyone was getting uh, sort of uh, planned uh, for opening in June, and then as sort of the thing got on into sort of May, we thought, no, it's probably going to be as late as September. But the pubs are opening on July the fourth, so it's all going to be quite clearly okay. Uh, and we had cash flow forecasted to you know run us and get us along through till, um, as I said, to, to September. And then, of course, it just got worse and worse and worse. And actually, uh, my company went bust uh, in December. Uh, lack of government support, no opening dates, absolutely at the back of the queue when it comes to uh, coming back to normality. Um, and so it was a very, very tough year last year. But we're in a different year this year. Uh, we've got new investors, um, uh, which means that we will uh, survive the year. And we now have an opening date. And I nearly fell off my chair when Boris actually mentioned nightclubs. <laughs> and so just remind people, when is that opening date? 21st of June, uh, without any restrictions whatsoever, is the plan. And I bet you're already fully booked. Uh, is it possible to get a ticket to a nightclub on the 21st of June? We haven't actually put them on sale. We're going to be putting them on sale in the next two weeks. But we know, because other friends of ours in the industry have done this, we'll just sell out straight away. Uh, you know, such is the, the, the pent-up demand. Uh, well, let's bring in uh, Michael from the Nighttime Industries Association. Uh, 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 Peter was just there talking about sort of his surprise at Boris Johnson mentioning nightclubs. Do, it, it, do you feel a bit like the industry's been slightly forgotten about? Well, we've, we've definitely uh, alluded from all the narrative, and, it, and it's taken a huge push, and Peter has been part of that uh, movement uh, that, that we've been involved in to, to make sure that we have been front and centre. Um, but, yeah, without a doubt, um, it, it, it feels without a doubt that we have been overlooked for a long period of time. Um, the APPG and the, the bringing together of uh, quite a few, uh, over 50 MPs as part of the nighttime economy, uh, group has made a big difference. The big report that was released this year has made a big difference moving into the budget. And, and to hear uh, the Prime Minister say nightclub four times in a week was, uh, as well as deliver <laughs> dates, uh, was, was almost overwhelming. And I'm sure Beta will reiterate this in the same way. And the blue is all the way. Certainly do, Mike. Certainly do. <laughs> uh, uh, when we talk about the nighttime industries, uh, Michael, what we're talking about, because it's not just sort of bar staff and DJs, and we'll hear from some DJs in a moment, but there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people whose livelihoods depend on them. Talk us through some of the jobs that, that, that you represent. Well, it's, I mean, it goes from uh, nightclubs, bars, casinos as, as sort of um, some of the primary businesses. Then you've got uh, sort of tertiary businesses or secondary tertiary businesses that sort of operate day and night. But the core of business or the revenue that's undertaken in the night is 6 p.m. till 6 a.m. in the morning. But you also have to remember all of those attributory businesses like taxis and even fashion for things like uh, nightlife tourism play a huge part people who come away for weekend visits you know they come down to go out to events festivals nightclubs and part of that is ingratiating themselves within cities and towns and then you know not least um you know the workforce you know the freelancers that that huge amount of skilled workforce as freelancers sole traders individuals and employees that make up that vibrant nighttime economy that we represent and Peter, what will nightclubs look like when they do get to reopen in June? I imagine quite a lot of them may have had a lick of paints just for something to do. But in terms of what will the experience be like, will there be any, any difference to uh, a year ago when they closed? Uh, my absolute hope is no. 
Um, I think that uh, government have made it very, very clear uh, that uh, they believe that on the 21st of June there will be no social distancing measures required because the vaccine has what it's all been about and because it's now they're tantalisingly <coughs> close to having every adult vaccinated at least once. Their belief is, and this is the assurances that we've had as well uh, uh, more recently, uh, that we will be returning doing what we do best and not some sort of half-hearted way of trying to you know have tables and no more than six people on and no more than two households we're, we're still at the back end of the queue don't forget you know, some uh, of our play uh, some of our, our pub friends are opening on the 12th of august we're going to be some 10 weeks behind that but the with the, the speed of the vaccination program uh, yeah, fact is we won't need to be doing anything we obviously need to make sure that people feel safe coming to our premises and uh, and we will do what we can to, to make them you know, sort of realise that you know, we've got high air changes now and lots of other sort of COVID secure things, but we're not going to be practically making huge uh, changes. By the way, we did last summer because we thought we were going to be coming back uh, <laughs> yeah. in, in September. So we spent a fortune on uh, you know, sort of uh, one-way systems and cleaning stations and uh, you know, toilet routes and all of those sort of things. Also, not <laughs> all to be a complete waste of money. But no, we know what we're good at. We know what we do best. Uh, great to hear your montage of people. Everybody loved clubbing when they were younger. <laughs> and there's a new generation. Every year there's a new generation. They can't wait to come back. Absolutely right. Well, best of luck with it all. Really good to speak to you. That was Peter Marks there, who runs uh, Recom uh, UK, which uh, runs clubs including uh, Prism, Cameo and Vinyl. Before that, uh, Michael Kill is the Chief Executive of the Nighttime Industries Association. Well, we're going we're gonna to go back to the music next. We're going to speak to not one, not two, but three DJs. Graham Park, one of the original founders of the UK's rave club scene and DJ. The techno DJ Lisa Lashes and our very own Time supporter, and DJ Artie Natchiapad. They're all coming up next here on Times Radio. As the light at the end of a long lockdown tunnel begins to appear, all next week, Times Radio will take a look back on what we have learned from the past year. Do we miss our family more than our friends? Today I'm visiting Nan and Grandma's house and I'm so excited! Or pubs more than people. Interaction at the pub. That's very, very sorely missed. Throughout the week, people from across the UK share their lessons from lockdown. What I've learned in lockdown is there are some people out there, I hold them in my heart because of the help and support what they've given me. It's sunny, <laughs> that's this hope. Lessons from lockdown, all next week on Times Radio. Supported by the Audio Content Fund. Matt Chorley on Times Radio. This is where I heal my hurts. For tonight, God is a DJ. Okay, let's speak to three DJs now then. Uh, let's kick off with uh, Graham Park, as I said, one of the original founders of the UK's rave club scene and a DJ too. Hi, Graham, how are you doing? I'm very good, how are you? I'm not bad at all. I'm not. I'm quite excited about this whole conversation and the music and the prospect of getting You're out and seeing excited. some people. Right, I'm talk to me excited. about what your last year has been like. As a DJ, presumably no gigs means no income. Well, exactly. I'm one of the excluded as well. So in the eyes of our Chancellor, uh, people like me aren't entitled to any help. Um, but on the, <laughs> apart from that, I've been very busy. I've been working with Michael that you spoke to on the from the NTIA. Uh, I've been doing a lot of live streaming, which is great, but there's no money in it. And you miss that interaction with the audience. So it's great playing amazing tunes to, in the case of you, the United We Stream streams, I've been part of millions of people around the world, but there's no interaction there. You can't gauge the crowd. You can't 
um, be influenced by the atmosphere as to what you play next. And you know what? I just cannot wait to see the whites of people, people's eyes, <laughs> smell them, hug them. Well, not maybe not hug them immediately, but it is it's very exciting. I just hope and pray that the society in general, in general, just keeps observing the rules, gets their vaccination and, and, and be very careful and we can gradually get back to normal. OK, let's bring in uh, Lisa Lashes as well now. Uh, hi, Lisa. Hello, Lisa. Oh, we'll, we'll come back to Lisa in a sec. Let's go to Artie Nashapan now, who often appears on the show because she's a reporter for The Times. Oh. And while we were putting together this feature, we unearthed the revelation that you're also actually quite a good DJ, Artie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's nice to be on the show in this capacity. So talk us through it. When, where, when did you start DJing and how was it when you had to stop? So I started DJing in 2014. I learned at London Sound Academy, which is still going, and they teach people how to DJ, basically. I had to stop, um, well, basically when all of this happened last year. So I think the last night I went to, the last night I played at was a, a charity event that was in Dalston, and it was February 9th, I think. And the last night I went to was maybe end of February. And then after that, basically, all of this kicked off, as we know. So it's basically kind of been live streams online radio since then um yeah which is just isn't it just isn't the same i think we've now got lisa lisa lashes um how how's the last 12 months been for you not being able to go to a club at all um it's been pretty crazy because i'm um i'm one of those uh, creative creatures that needs to have lots of people around me wants to play music to people and um you know i've missed all my friends and all those smiley faces that you get when you walk on the decks and uh play some good tunes so uh yeah i've totally missed that for the last year but um yeah and do you think lisa will having this sort of you know fire break almost between what went before and what mm -hmm. happens now will this period have given birth to a new scene a new genre of music will clubs suddenly feel very different because music evolves all the time will there be a pit where we look back on 2021 2022 as being the birth of something new do you think um, I think what it will do, I mean, I know that there's so many producers and DJs there, like they will have albums of music to play out. I mean, <laughs> imagine all the new music now is going to be fantastic. And let's see what that's, you know, what, what kind of weird, crazy, wonderful states they've been in in the last year to what their music is going to do. But I also think it's going to bring in the live streaming. Um, you know, people think that live streaming and, and the venues is going to compete against each other. But it's not. It works hand in hand. You know, why wouldn't you want to have uh, go to part life everyone can't go to part life it's going to have restricted i would imagine uh, audiences being allowed to get in there why can't you then zoom that out to all, all people around the world and ticket that event so it's, it's you know it's a different revenue stream at the end of the day for these uh, venues and if this happens again at least then we've got that side that we will never be restricted again so uh that's, a, yeah, that's, that's really interesting that's you think you'll end up with sort of hybrid clubbing hybrid clubbing i can see i can yeah. see that would work uh, Graham, I mentioned that you, I mean, you were there, you were a key figure in the birth of the Hacienda. You've seen various <laughs> scenes come and go. What yeah. do, you, do, do you do? you think that this might lead to a sort of uh, a purple patch, if you like, for, for clubbing and for dance music? Well, I mean, uh, the, the, the media love, a, love a, a catchphrase and the Roaring Twenties has appeared a few times. And if we are going to have a, a Roaring Twenties, I think that'd be very exciting. But it, I mean, it's not just about the, the people behind the decks. It's the people in the clubs. It's, it's, it's people's mental health and, and just people's kind of well-being is all going to benefit from getting back together. And, and, it, and I do think at the start, streaming 
is still going to be part of this because not all venues are going to have full capacity from the 21st of June onwards. And there's still going to be potentially some kind of social distancing. That Getting that vaccine is important. But I just think it's going to be an amazing, exciting summer if everyone continues to follow the rules. And I, my diary has just gone mental. What I'm hoping is clubs might stay open later and longer because I've had venues trying to boot me, but they can't boot me because I'm already booked. Say, well, what if I put you on at four in the morning instead of two in the morning? So I, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, creativity from promoters and nightclubs and maybe more pop-up venues. And uh, it's going to be a very exciting summer. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Really much fingers crossed. Artie, I mean, I'm not going to invite you to resign from the Times now live on air, but <laughs> <laughs> how much would you like to, 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 to if it all explodes this summer... Uh, to, to to become a full-time DJ? I would love to just spend weekends doing this. Like, I'd just love to do more kind of day parties, more kind of events like, you know, like kind of, there's these events like kind of follow the format of Boiler Room, kind of like Keep Hush, where you just go and see the DJ and it's all live streamed. I think there'll be a lot more of that kind of thing this summer. So I absolutely can't wait. I hope that all the bookings come back and everything goes to plan <laughs> so that we can do all of that. Because the other thing is, um, like some of the others mentioned, there's been so much music out in the last year. But the weird thing is there's no nostalgia about it because there's no kind of shared experience to all this music. So I think everyone's just waiting for the clubs to come back so that we can kind of create experiences to these music. So the, so these songs that have been put out. It's really interesting that you, you don't have that sentimental attachment yet because you haven't heard it. Mm. It's surrounded by a group of people. Just finally then, really quickly, I'll come out to all three of you. Your your standout go-to track. Uh, I'll start with you, Artie. It's definitely Vibes Cartel, Turn and Wine. I could listen to it in any situation. Fantastic. Lisa? Uh, well, mine will be definitely Faithless Week on One mix. That's for sure. Don't talk about Faithless. I've been squabbling with Poppy, the producer, all morning, and now you've had it. You've thrown another one into the mix. Uh, and Sorry. finally, uh, Graham, Graham, your your track of choice. Oh, it's, that's that's one of the toughest questions going. The first thing that pops into my head is probably Voodoo Ray. Guy Perfect. called Joe. Always Love works, never fails. Well, that's it for this episode of Red Box. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Maybe even leave us a rating because it helps with the mumbo-jumbo charts. We release an episode every day, Monday to Thursday, featuring the best bits of my Times radio show. You can listen to the whole thing uh, Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. It's available on DAB, online, via Smart Speaker or on the Times radio app. And if you want to read more about all of the stories we've been discussing, then go to times.radio forward slash subscribe. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.